0: And to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Jebusite in the mountains, and to the Hivite under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they went out, they and all their host with them, much people, even as the sand that is upon the seashore in multitude with horses and chariots, very many. And when all these kings were met together, they came and pitched together at the waters of Meron to fight against Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I will deliver them up, all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hawk their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Muron suddenly, and they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who smote them, and chased them unto great Zidon, and unto Merceroth, and unto the valley of Mizpah eastward. And they smote them, until they left, the event, left them none remaining." And Joshua did unto them, as the Lord bade him, he hawked their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua at that time turned back and took Hazar and smote the king thereof with the sword. For Hazar, before time, was the head of all those kingdoms. And they smote all the souls that were therein with the edge of the sword utterly destroying them. There was not any left to breathe, and he burnt Hazar with fire. And all the cities of those kings and all the kings of them did Joshua take and smote them with the edge of the sword and he utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. But as for the cities that stood still in their strength, Israel burned none of them, save Hazar only, that did Joshua burn. And all the spoil of these cities and the cattle and the... And the cattle, the children of Israel took for a prey unto themselves, but every man they smote with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them, neither left they any to breathe. As the Lord commanded Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. So Joshua took all that land, the hills. And all the south country, and all the land of Goshen, and the valley, and the plain, and the mountain of Israel, and the valley of the same. Even from the Mount Halak, that goeth up to Seir, even unto Belgad, in the valley of Lebanon, under Mount Hermon. And all their kings he took, and smote them, and slew them. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, say the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. And at that time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, and from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah, And from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. There was none of the Anakins left in the land of the children of Israel, only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod there remained. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord said unto Moses. And Joshua gave it for an inheritance unto Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. And the land rested from war. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the truth of it. I just pray that you would allow me to communicate your word, your truth tonight, and that we could learn more about you and how you want us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Last week, as we considered chapter 10, we we considered this thought. Just do what God has put in front of you. God has given, given each one of us th- specific things that He wants us to do, specific um, things that we do that are in obedience to His Word, whether it's simple things that we think about all the time, like reading our Bibles and showing up to church and being involved in the things of God, living our lives the way God wants us to live. Sometimes it's specific things that we are dealing with that other people might not even know about. But we need to just obey God. Just do what God has put in front of you. And we saw last week, as you do that, as you obey God, God will work the miracles needed for you to accomplish His will. Israel was facing the, um, the um, Amorites that were attacking them, the five kings. And God worked the miracle of the sun standing still. God worked the miracle of throwing the hailstones down at them. So, why? It wasn't so Joshua could have great miracles and say, look what God did, I'm comparable to Moses. No, it was simply so um, Joshua and Israel could accomplish the will of God in front of them. That God was going to work the miracles needed for them to accomplish the will of God. As you serve God, as you live for God... You see God work. It's wonderful. You see God do things only God can do. But have you ever felt like every time you win a spiritual victory, every time you accomplish something for God, a new, bigger problem shows up? Every time you say, wow, I've made a step forward for God, something that looks twice as big hits you right in the face. It, is there no break does it, it just never seems to stop. I thought about that and I could not but use their current illustration of the political situation of our country. All last year, for two years leading up, it was the election and how Hillary Clinton was the most, um, whatever. She was supposed to be the um, person, the best that our country could ever have expected as president. And then Donald Trump won. The election. So now it instantly goes from how there's no hope that Donald Trump could win the election. I'm just stating facts here. To now they're going to do the electoral, electoral college vote that people are going to not cast their vote the way they are commanded to by law and Donald Trump will not be the president. That's what's going to happen. And then it was the, um, this Russian thing that the Russians have hacked our election. And now they're talking about how um, our president, President Trump, is deranged. That he is not right. He is not. He shouldn't be our president. He, he doesn't have the mental capacity to do that. And you look at it, it just doesn't seem to stop. It's just, we, we won the election. Okay, can we just stop? No, no. It's on and on and on and on. And everybody's just like, can we stop already? Have you ever felt like that as a Christian? As you're trying to live for God, and this thing is coming against you. And then this thing is coming against you. And then this thing is coming against you. Like, can we just stop already? Why is it just battle after battle? And they bring out, every time we see one victory, there's something bigger in front of us. In our nat- You know what our nature is? is to allow the constant battles just the daily grind of life. To discourage our hearts. To have. How many. No one today even wants to talk politics. Why? They're discouraged by it. By just the constant attack of those who make up stuff or who just dig and dig to find something they can do to bash what our country has stood for for hundreds of years. And like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. And at times, we can get that way as Christians too. As the attack of the world, as they they say, No, the Bible can't be true. The Bible can't be true. You can't live for God in today. You can't and just begin piling up the things against you. It can get discouraging. How do you think Israel felt? They had seen God work. They had seen God take down the walls of Jericho. That's exciting. They had seen God work. And then they got defeated at Ai. But then they saw God... Defeat them, God win the victory for them at Ai, and then they have the five Amorite kings come at them, around Gibeon, bigger. They do that, and that was a long battle. Not only did they have the battle where they chased them for a long time, they had the, the cleanup afterwards where they went to the different cities. They went and they, God won a victory, and a, great victories in a very short amount of time, but that was still a long battle. That was still time where it was running, where they had to continue to fight. And then we come to chapter 11. And a new group is coming against them. In fact, this is the greatest battle that they will probably fight in the land of Canaan up to this point. At that time, they just had the Amorite kings, the five kings. That was a great army that they defeated, that God defeated for them. A great victory that was won. But did you as we read through that did you see that it said verse number 4 and they went out they and all their host with them much people it says all their host much people even as the sand that is upon the seashore and multitude with horses and chariots very many so they had just finished an exhausting battle and here comes an even bigger battle. Something even greater than they had ever faced. And now, they're also facing horses and chariots. Their previous battle had been more up in the mountains. This one was down in the valleys. And chariots were like our modern day tanks. How many have seen the police officers on horses? Walking up and down the streets. You know that horses, with the, the, the reason the police officers use them is they are one of the most powerful things for controlling people. Nobody wants to get in the way of a horse. Now, they're dealing with not only horsemen, they have not just one horse, they've got cavalry, as in thousands of horses that have been trained to work together and just run over people. They also have chariots pulled by horses. And oftentimes they would, they would put spikes and swords on the wheels of the chariots as they were riding and just mow down. They were devastating weapons. They were, that was the elite weapons of their day. They were bringing out the big tanks and everything that they could. Israel didn't have any of this. That was scary in and of itself. And you might ask and say, just as we stop and consider this, Israel's facing this. But why do these nations keep coming and attacking Israel? They have been defeated before, and they keep coming, they keep coming together and attack Israel. At the end of the chapter, we read how the the God revealed in his word that he had hardened their hearts, that their hearts were hard against God because they were to be destroyed. But just looking at it, Gibeon, the Gibeonites were spared. Rahab was spared. It wasn't, it is not that God is just a vindictive God who's saying, destroy everything in your path. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of love, but He's also a just God, and He knew that Israel could not live in the land with people who served a different God. The reason why there was such conflict, the reason why there was such war, is the Canaanites, they were serving a different God. Rahab changed God's. God brought her into, in fact, the heritage of King David and of Jesus Christ. The Gibeonites, they said, we don't want to deal with this. They came. God showed them mercy. But these other nations said, we cannot, they had different goals than Israel did. They had different gods than Israel did. And that brought them into direct conflict with the people of God. The reason why there's so much conflict today, we say, why is there spiritual conflict? Why can't we just get along? Well, we use the illustration of the political world that we did at the beginning. Why can't the Democrats and the Republicans get along? They have different goals. They have different things driving them. They want this, and they're... and the Republicans want this, and it's diametrically opposed. You can't bring them together because they're going different directions. Spiritually, you cannot bring someone who serves someone other than the God of the Bible and someone who's serving the God of the Bible together in harmony. It doesn't work. They're going different directions. They, the the um, God of the Canaanites was saying, we cannot serve. Jehovah God. We're coming in direct conflict, and God said, if they will not, God said, you cannot live in the land with those who will not serve me, because they will draw your hearts away. They served a different God. They had different goals, different philosophies. They weren't going to submit to the God of the Hebrews, and so they got everything they could together. They massed every army they could. They got every chariot, every horse, and massed their armies to come against Israel. This seemingly constant pressure could have been a discouragement to Joshua and Israel. But they did have the promise of victory from God. In verse number 6 it says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid of them. Earlier in Deuteronomy when Moses was commanding the children of Israel, he says, When you see the horses and you see the chariots, don't be afraid. If you're serving God, if you're doing the things of God, God is with you. And God promised them in verse number 6 here, He says, I will deliver them up, all slain. The word deliver has the idea of a gift. God's saying, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you this victory. I'm going to deliver them up. I'm going to tie a neat bow on it, put them in a box and hand it to you. Not not exactly that way. Israel was still going to have to fight. But God was promising them the victory. I'm going to give you the victory. And with God's assurance of victory... Israel presses forward and they see another miraculous victory by God on their behalf. Verse number seven says So Joshua came and all the people of war with them against them by the waters of Miron suddenly, and they fell upon them. And verse number eight And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them despite the great odds they faced. Israel is once again victorious. God gave them the victory. He gave them into their hands. Israel chased them, left none of them remaining. This great coalition that was against them, this great army with their chariots, with their horses, they had the best equipment, they had the largest army, the Bible says the sand of the sea. They were going to overwhelm Israel. And Israel chased them. And then, they came and they destroyed in obedience to God. They destroyed the chariots and the horses. Now, they burned the chariots and they hawked the horses. Okay, what does that word hawk mean? It, uh, basically, it means they hamstrung the horses. That's cruelty to animals. Okay? They weren't killing the horses. That What they did was they made them unusable for war. Why? God had commanded them. That they, if they fought against an enemy and God gave them the victory, they were to burn the chariots and they were to hamstring the horses. Why? Because God didn't want Israel trusting in the horses. Horses were powerful. Horses were a sign of prestige. If you had an army with horses, you could parade your army. You could pray your army without horses, but you would parade your army with the horses and you would see Or you would bring them to the battle and you would have them there in line and intimidate the other people and say, this is why we are mighty. Look at our army. Look at our... And God said, the horses, they live, let them roam, eat the grass of the pastures, but make them not usable for war. Because I don't want you trusting in the same thing that the world's trusting in. You're different. You trust in your God, who He alone can deliver you. That was important. That was notice. That was in obedience to God that they did that. God wanted their trust to be completely in Him. But something I also noticed about this battle, this even greater battle that Israel faced here, they saw a miraculous victory. The victory was a miracle of God. But there was no supernatural phenomenon with this battle, with this victory. There was no walls falling down. There was no hailstones being cast out of heaven during this battle. There was no sun standing still giving them light for an unnatural number of Of ours. But God still gave a miraculous victory. It wasn't any less miraculous because they didn't have the natural phenomenon with it. It wasn't any less of God. Because they didn't have all the things that they could quote unquote write home about. You think about, man, we saw the walls of Jericho fall down. That was great. They saw chariots and horses run from them. That's great too. Anytime you have God work, whether it is something that you just stop and say, wow, or for something you say, it's just, that's just like simple everyday life. That's just God giving us the victory. That's just as miraculous. They were just as much need of God's help to win this victory as they was for the walls of Jericho to fall down. They were just as much need of God's help for this victory as they was for Joshua to say, son, stand still. They still needed God's help. And Joshua, after this victory, once again, they didn't stop. They pressed the attack and they conquered the remaining land. They continued their attacks and they burned Hazar, which was the capital of that area. They went and they attacked it. This was, it was the ringleader, this city was. It was the one that stirred up this coalition. And they go and in obedience to God, they attack it. History tells us it was a strong well-fortified city. And there's barely, hardly, even more than one verse dedicated to this battle. And yet, they had to fight it. And then they conquered the Anakims. Okay? We, this morning in Sunday school, we sang the song about the twelve men went to spy on Canaan, ten were bad and two were good. The number one um, reason that the spies gave for not going into the land, was the sons of the Anakims. The giants in the land. They were strong. We feel like grasshoppers in their sights. In their sight. You know, we don't... There's no way we can beat them. And the Bible says, Joshua cut off the Anakims from certain... Now, he didn't go into Gaza... To the other areas. But he he was in the main area where they were fighting. He went in to those mountain areas to where these giants were. Where they were um, against them. And the Bible says he cut them off. It has the idea of rooting out. Now when we get to 1 Samuel. We're going to meet some of the sons of the Anakins. We've heard the stories of David and Goliath. It says here that they were left in Gath. Goliath was one of them. But God doesn't condemn Joshua here for leaving him here. He doesn't. Some of the individual towns, some of the different areas were the responsibilities of the tribes. Once um, Joshua had divided land and said, this is your inheritance, this is your inheritance, this is your inheritance. Those individual tribes of Israel, it was their responsibility to go in and clear out the rest of that area, and make it completely Israelite, and to drive out the rest of the inhabitants. That was their job. This part of the um, passage here, this part of the battle is concerned with Joshua, with the main conquering of the land, with the major battles, with the until the major hostilities are ceased, the land is secured. There's no more coalitions that can come together and fight against Israel in the land. And the Bible says Joshua made war in verse number 18. Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. Best we can figure out, it took him almost five years to get to this point. Caleb, um, who was one of the spies that was good, was 40 years old when they went into the land. At the end, and a couple chapters later in Joshua, where he's talking to Joshua and saying, I want the mountain that God has promised me, he's 85. Now they wandered in the land for 40 years, in the wilderness for 40 years. So that leaves five years that they've been in the land, fighting battle after battle, taking city after city. And not that much about it, not details and um, stories of each battle is recorded. There's Jericho, Ai, and then these major battles here. But each each battle had to be fought. Each battle took time to attack. It was not an easy time. Remember, two and a half tribes, their loved ones were on the other side of the Jordan River then the rest of the women and children would have been at Gilgal. It was the army that was traveling and fighting. Now, they might have gone back during the winter or the rainy season or whatever, but this was still a long time of continued fighting and continued fighting. And every time they won a battle, it seemed they brought a bigger army against them. Then we get to at the end of chapter 11, where it says, And the land rested From war. So up to this time they've been fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And finally it's in the land rested from war. Yes. And then it goes to chapter 12 and it just gives a list. God fulfilled his promise in this. God fulfilled his promise in this. It doesn't say God fulfilled his promise. It just lists the kings that they fought against. Remember what God had promised Joshua at the beginning of the book. He said, There's not a man that's going to stand before you. You're gonna you are gonna be able to conquer the land, not through your strength, but through mine, is what God was telling Joshua. And here we get where the land rested from war, and chapter number twelve, God give just gives a list. I fulfilled my promise in this battle. I fulfilled my promise in this battle. I fulfilled my promise in this battle. You see, Israel saw God's power triumph despite relentless attacks. There was attack after attack after attack. But they saw God's power triumph again and again and again. And Israel got to experience that. They got to be a part of God's miraculous workings. Simply. I feel like I've said this almost every message. But it's the—it's really a theme of the book of Joshua. Obedience to God. They moved forward. Israel as a nation moved forward in victory as they obeyed God. You see, back in the wilderness, what had happened? They had come to the promised land and they had rebelled against God. They said, no, we're not going in. We're not going to obey God because you can't do it. We get to the book of Joshua, and they moved into the land. And as they obeyed God, as they simply did what God had put in front of them, fought the battle that they had to fight that day, obeyed God. Joshua could have said, we need those horses to fight the next battle. No, what he needed was God's presence, and he obeyed God. Joshua could have said, there's no way we can fight that big thing. We need a different strategy. We need to draw them up into the mountain. No. God said, I'll give you the victory. They went. They attacked him. The superior force. And God gave a great victory. The God of Israel is the God we still serve today. If we serve the God of the Bible, He is the God who gave the victories back then. And He is just as involved in our lives today as He was involved in the walls of Jericho falling down. God is not any less involved in our lives now Than He was in the lives of Israel back then. In fact, more so. Because if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. God wants to work miraculous victories in your life today. He wants to see you press forward for God. And the spiritual battles that you face today are just as real as the chariots and horses that Israel is facing. Now, it may not it isn't you're looking a chariot or a horse right in the face, but the battles are just as real as we're, in fact, as we're, we're dealing with things we can't see, battles we, we can't see. as we try to share the gospel with people, as we try to see God move forward and work in the Bronx, in the Brooklyn, in Queens. See God work. And the devil's intentions, the devil's, what he's trying to do is just as terrible as what the Canaanites were trying to do to the children of Israel. The Canaanites were trying to destroy Israel. They were trying to say, we cannot allow God's people to move forward because they were serving a different God. They weren't serving God. And that's what brought them into conflict. And the overwhelming odds are just as overwhelming. Today, in spiritual battles. The trials we face are just as relentless as the conflict in Canaan. It's been said over and over and over again. The Christian life is not a sprint. Nor is it an event. It's not a, the Christian life is not a big Sunday. It's daily living. And sometimes it can feel like every time we win a victory, the pressure goes up. Every time we win, every time we see God move, there's a bigger obstacle in front of us. And our nature, if we see that in ourselves, is to become discouraged when we look at that. I've been serving God for a long time. You think about it. Or not as long as others. Whatever it is. But it can seem long. And the battle's... Keep coming. There's not a break. There's not a time in the Christian life where you can say, I, I'm, I'm done for a little bit. Now, there are times where we take some rest. That's good. Some physical rest. Or some times where there's just a sweet fellowship with God. But life is lived. It's life. Day after day after day. Last week we talked about Just do what God has put in front of you. And God will work the miracles needed to make that happen. You know what God is reminding us? I believe what God is reminding us from this passage. No matter the battle that we're facing, just keep on doing the things that God has put in front of us. Don't allow the things of life, the battles of life, as they, see, they may seem like they're getting bigger. They may seem like there's more obstacles against us. Won't it just stop for a second? Why does it have to keep going and going and going? Well, the things that brought us the victory in the past, obedience to God, is the things that will bring us victory no matter the odds. God wasn't astounded at the chariots and the horses. God wasn't... Oh, I wonder what I'm going to do here. He's like, he came. The exact same message that God had for for Joshua at Ai, which was a small town. 12,000 people. Joshua is now facing an army like the sand of the seashore with horses and chariots. And God has the same message for Joshua. Fear not. I can give the victory. I will deliver them into your hands. God's way is still best. Just keep doing what God's Word says. We don't need to change our methods because something bigger, a bigger battle is in front of us. You know why the land was able to rest from war? Why Joshua was able to say, we've won the major battles, the major hostilities have ceased? It's because he obeyed God, and obeyed God, and obeyed God, and kept obeying God. I mean that's what the really in, in reality that's what the Christian life boils down to is loving God and just obeying God. How do we love God? We keep his commandments. It's not as complicated as we sometimes make it out to be. Now it sure feels complicated when we're facing that battle. What do I do here? But it's it's God who wins the victories. It's not us. It's God who's able to defeat, whether it's AI, whether it's the chariots and the horses. We don't need the chariots and horses. We just need God. How do we have God's presence and continue to see God work? We just keep doing what God has put in front of us. The Bible is still all we need. God is still all we need. God's way still is best. God's way still works. Whether we're facing the Anakins the giants, the horses and the chariots, and the great battle, as we simply obey God. Just do what God's Word said. Be faithful where God has placed you today. Be faithful to visitation. Be faithful to the church services. Be faithful with reading your Bibles. say, that's just every day, every week. Three services a week. I don't think I can do that. I want to challenge you that Joshua's victories, look at verse number 15. It says, as the Lord commanded Moses' servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Joshua. No matter what the battle was facing him, Joshua just obeyed God and obeyed God. And the next generation would come on. And you know what they would need to do? Just obey God. Just follow God. It's not anything complicated. I'm not going to stand up here and show you some great truth Is like, whoa, I never heard that before. No, it's the Bible. Just, if we're going to see God work. If we're going to see the power of God evident and move forward the way God wants us to. It's that simple. Obey God. And then when the battle gets bigger, keep on obeying God. And then when it just seems like it's completely overwhelming, how are we ever going to do this? Keep obeying God. Keep following God. Just keep on doing what God has put in front of you. And allow God to do the work. Allow God to change lives. Allow God to work in hearts where we cannot. Just do it God's way. And God will do the work. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just come before you this evening. I thank you for tonight. I thank you that you still want...